0: Welcome to the Candida Chronicles with our host Michael Biamonte, certified clinical nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told. The source is Candida, a yeast overgrowth which, when it becomes systemic, can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com. That's health-truth.com or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte. That's a wrap for this episode of the Candida Chronicles featuring Michael Biamonte. And
1: we're here today to discuss the Biamonte Center urine test. This is the home urine test that was used on the Biamonte program in order to determine the treatment, to determine the levels of Candida, and to be used as a guide for the overall program. The difference between the home urine test that we use on our program and any other type of urine test, or candida test for that matter, is that our test tells us what's happening at the moment the test is done. It's not a test that has any type of delayed reaction uh, the way a blood test would. When you do a blood test for candida, you really don't know whether or not the blood test is reflecting what's happening now or in the past in particular. That's one of the drawbacks of blood tests for Candida, because the blood test is an antibody test which is measuring your immune system's reaction against Candida, and that test can remain elevated and showing a positive Candida reaction for nine months after the Candida is eliminated. Stool tests, as I've discussed on this program before, uh, can be very inaccurate because the Candida does not grow in a uniform enough manner throughout the stool for it to be picked up with any consistency. Uh, Other tests which are used for candida, organic acid tests in particular, look to measure chemicals which are part of the candida's metabolism in your urine. There could be several that are looked at, and the levels need to be within a certain range, otherwise the levels, or or I should say the, the collective group of those organic acids would indicate an overgrowth of candida the problem with the organic acid tests is other influences in the body other types of metabolism actions going on in the body can influence those organic acids and elevate them even if the person has normal candida levels so with that test you have to be very careful to compare symptoms with the actual test to see whether or not the person's symptoms are convincingly enough of candida to warrant those markers that are being elevated as a reflection of the candida which is not always the case the Biamante candida urine test came about due to my frustrations in dealing with other types of testing for candida i have a, had I had a long history in the 90s of uh, working with the great smokies labs now the which is genova lab And they were very, very nice in letting me perform research using their stool tests. I also contributed to a lot of the interpretation data on the stool tests for them. And I found quickly that stool tests were very limited in Candida testing because the inconsistent growth of Candida in your intestinal tract means that the stool sample that you happen to be analyzing that particular day may not have enough candida in there to be representative of what's really happening in the patient's case. So you, again, you're misled. You can get a tremendous amount of false negatives with candida, I mean uh, stool tests, meaning that the stool test reacts falsely in a negative way, even though the person may have candida and is indeed positive for it. So we have blood tests, which are inaccurate due to the fact they're not telling you what's happening in present time, also due to the fact that the longer the person has candida and their immune system begins to weaken, the antibodies may no longer be high. They may drop into a normal range because the body can't fight back anymore. We also have the stool test, which is inconsistent because of the candida's own inconsistencies in its growth in the intestinal tract. So you can come up with many false negatives on a stool test. We have organic acid tests, which can be positive due to functions in your metabolism which have nothing to do with Candida. So in playing with these basic tests, you can very easily uh, be misled. The one other type of test which you may encounter in being tested for Candida is the dark field or also known as live blood cell analysis. This is where the doctor pricks your finger and he analyzes your blood under a microscope and he looks for candida cells attached to your red blood cells or your white blood cells. This is an accurate test in many ways because the first thing is it is telling you what's happening in present time. Uh, Secondly, you can get an idea of the candida activity in the body. Uh, it gives you a reasonable amount of, ID, of uh, accuracy in terms of how much candida activity you have because the more candida cells which are attached to red or white blood cells, that might, would indicate the volume of your candida. The downside of it is it doesn't tell you the intestinal level of candida. You're only looking at candida which has snuck its way into your bloodstream. So it's not really giving you an idea or a marker for the intestinal levels. But out of all the tests that exist, for Candida, this live blood cell uh, analysis, would be the preferred test if we had nothing else. The Diamante urine test for Candida has several different parts which I'm going to discuss. Uh, the first section of the test is the Indicant test. The Indicant test is a small vial essentially filled with a chemical that you mix your urine in. You shake the vial and then you leave it sit for about five minutes. At the bottom of the vial, there's a separation point where you'll notice the shade or color becomes markedly different. On our instruction sheets, there will be an arrow pointing to that bottom part of the vial where that separation occurs because that's the section of the vial that we want to use for the interpretation. That's where we're looking for changes in color to be judged. This test indicates not candida, but waste products that are coming from your protein metabolism, which are essentially putrefied by the action of bacteria and microscopic parasites called protozoa. So the Indicant test is actually not a test which tells you about your Candida levels, it is a test that's telling you about your levels of harmful bacteria and parasites, which we typically refer to as a dysbiosis of the intestinal tract. Dysbiosis meaning you have bad organisms governing there rather than the positive, healthy ones. When the indican test is elevated, it is very difficult for friendly bacteria to stick to your intestinal tract. A high indican level is generally thought of as a dirty toxic colon. Not only because there is the presence of these bacteria and parasites, but there will be the presence of putrefying proteins, which are Toxic and essentially dirty for the intestinal tract. And this makes it a harder, tougher environment for friendly bacteria to grow in. Therefore, when someone has an elevated endocrine score, it doesn't mean they have candida, but it means they have a dirty toxic colon, which is highly susceptible to candida. And certainly very susceptible to having a difficult time in getting the friendly bacteria to stick back in the intestines. The next part of the test is the oxidative test. This is a, a vial or an ampule that you get in the kit, which you break off the top and you fill with urine. And again, you let it sit for five minutes and it will turn different shades of pink to, to uh, red. The oxidative test is reflecting aldehydes in your system. This test reflects free radicals, which are little chemical buzz bombs that damage your tissues by causing oxidation to your tissues. In the case of the Candida and this test, the free radicals which it measures are oxidative, I'm sorry, aldehyde-driven, meaning that these free radicals form based on the presence of aldehydes in your system. Aldehydes are a form of alcohol. The alcohol which is naturally produced in your body, that your liver has developed enzymes over the years, hundreds of years, thousands of years, to uh, handle comes from the intestinal tract, and it comes from yeasts and bacteria which ferment the carbohydrates and produce small amounts of natural alcohol there. When the body has a candida overgrowth, there are much larger amounts of these alcohols produced, therefore there are more of these free radicals produced, and it measures or reflects on the test as turning a very dark red or a significant red color. A normal level on this test would be considered a very, very light faint pink which would indicate normal amounts of aldehydes. But the heavy amount of aldehydes that come from a chronic overgrowth of candida will be reflected by a very dark red. Uh, When the aldehydes reach that level, it's also very common that the aldehydes have become systemic in the body, meaning that the the yeast has grown outside of the digestive tract and is spreading through the lymph system, into the spleen, the liver, throughout the lymph area, perhaps even into the... Lungs and the prostate in many places, the uterus of the woman. This would be systemic candy, the system wide, is what we would refer to it as. The next part of the test is probably the most intriguing and confusing for people. Uh, this is the dysbiosis marker. It's a test that's done by placing seven drops of a particular special reagent into a tube, test tube of urine. If the person does not have Candida, or has normal levels of Candida in their system, the urine will form a cloudy, milky, kind of misty reaction. It literally will look like someone poured some milk and water into the tube. That is a normal reaction, and that is someone who has a pretty good balance of the correct probiotics against the bad organisms in their system. When Candida starts to overgrow in this person, What you'll see on the test is it will start to curdle. The first reaction that which could occur is a feathery, wispy, cotton candy-ish look. Some people have called it white bread in water look. It's a kind of light curdled reaction. This is the first reaction on the test which indicates a positive overgrowth of candida. It's the least significant because it's indicating a minor overgrowth of Candida, but nonetheless, it's still indicating that the person has an excessive amount or a higher amount that they should have. The next reaction that we have is a grainy reaction on the test. This is still referred to in the classification as slight-curdled. It's a much heavier reaction than the wispy, feathery, slight-curdled reaction I just described. It's an indication of a heavier overgrowth of Candida than the first reaction, but it is still in the slight-curdled category. This looks grainy. It, uh, usually the tube will fill up with this material. It's somewhat dense, and it will be a uniform graininess throughout the tube. The reaction we have next is a floating-curdled reaction, and this is one of the most common reactions that you find. This is indicative of a moderate Candida overgrowth. Um, This reaction literally looks like you put some cottage cheese in the tube and the cottage cheese is floating in there with the water. You could have a cloudy, milky uh, reaction surrounding these chunks, but it will be predominantly cottage cheesy-like chunks with other white, cloudy material floating in between. And that is, as I said, a moderate reaction that's thought of as being a moderate overgrowth of candida in the intestinal tract. The next reaction, and the last one, which is the most severe, is called heavy curdled. The heavy curdled reaction is a sandy reaction. It literally looks like you poured sand in the test tube and then put some water in there. It doesn't move when you move the tube. It remains compacted. There are no spaces in this reaction in between the curds. There is no space at the very bottom of the tube, because if it's truly heavy curdled, the the material would just collapse from the top down to the bottom, and it would not leave any space. This is the most significant reaction on the test, and it indicates a very heavy overgrowth of Candida. Sometimes this test also turns blue, or has some kind of a bluish tint to it. Typically, it's at the bottom when that occurs. When that occurs, it's due to toxic metal ions being in the urine, which are interacting with the reagent, producing this purple color. Um, When this occurs, it's not telling us in particular what type of toxic metal the person has. It's only showing that at the time, there can be toxic metals in that person's urine. If this happens rather consistently, it would warrant you doing further testing in order to understand a little bit more what type of toxic metal situation this person has. There are also some other tests which we include on the in, on the testing kit, which are important. One of them is a test for pH. pH is important to know because as the person's candida changes, the pH will change. When a person is having die-off, as an example, the pH tends to drop and become more acid because as the candida dies, it releases acid-forming wastes. When a person's getting rid of their candida, it's typical to see the pH starting to become more alkaline. Most people typically start out with a pH of about 4.5 to 5, which in America is considered normal, but most health advocates would consider that to be much too acidic. And this is typical of the candida patient as well. As the candida patient begins to get better and begins to get rid of the overgrowth of the candida, which he has, the pH will come above six, usually, somewhere between six to seven. And that would be considered to be a much better, healthier pH. pH is a very confusing topic, though. Most people don't really understand it and make all types of errors of judgment when they're dealing with it. pH changes throughout the day. So if you're going to measure your pH, you have to do it at the same time of the day. In the morning, your pH would be the most acid. It, wouldn't, it would be typical that someone's pH in the morning would be 5. And then if they were to check it again in the evening, it could be 7 or 7.5. So we'll get more alkaline as the day goes on. That's because as you're eating and drinking, you're diluting all the acid wastes in your body to the point where at night you have the least concentration of them. In the morning, after you've rested and your body's been metabolizing the food from the day before and accumulating waste products to excrete, you're going to get the most acid pH and that pH is the most acid because it's filled with the most acid waste products that accumulated overnight while you were sleeping. So when you do your pH, when you check them, if you want to check them with regularity, make sure you check them at the same time of the day and remember the morning is the best and the most consistent to understand. The next test that's involved in the urine kit is a chem strip, which measures different factors, starting with the specific gravity, which tells you how concentrated your urine is. This is important because it tells us whether or not the person's hydrated enough and gives us some idea of their kidney function. A specific gravity, which is consistently too low, could indicate a kidney problem. When it's too high, it generally means the person's not drinking enough water. We like to see the specific gravity at about ten fifteen on the strip, which would mean that the person's adequately hydrated but not overhydrated. And generally, that's achieved by having the person make sure they drink some water every thirty minutes. Doesn't have to be a lot, even if it's a sip every thirty minutes. That will work better than if the person drinks several quarts a day in 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 uh, just a few sittings. You see. to keep hydrated, you have to have a constant flow of water. When you drink a quart or two at just one or two points during the day, what's going to happen is the fluid level in your blood will elevate. It will spill over to your kidneys and tell you to urinate. But when you drink every 30 minutes or so, it keeps a small amount of water there, which keeps you constantly hydrated. So it's, it's always more important, the frequency of drinking water, as opposed to the total amount in terms of hydration. The chem strip also shows other values, which will show white like blood cells in your urine, which could be indicative of a urinary tract infection. It shows you the amount of protein in your urine, which is not reflecting your diet, but telling us how well your body is filtering proteins through your kidneys. <coughs> it shows the glucose level, which is a sugar level, and ketones, which are types of alcohols that are produced when the body's burning fat. There are certain diabetic conditions which also produce these ketones. And it also reflects two liver liver, uh, chemistries, let's say, which tell us if the liver is not properly detoxifying or if there's possibly a blockage in the gallbladder (laughs) which is causing a buildup of bile. These are urobilogen and bilirubin. These are important in understanding liver function. If the, let's say, uh, liver is being overwhelmed by die-off that the person's having from the candida program, these two tests are apt to elevate, and that tells us immediately we need to back off and go easier on the program so we don't hurt the person's liver. Hemoglobin and red blood cells are also measured on this strip, which you typically will find in a woman when she's menstruating or if a man has a prostate infection you could see this blood showing up in the urine. Vitamin C is another thing which we measure separately with a separate strip on the test. And the reason why we measure the vitamin C is because it's a very good indicator of how the body is detoxifying and how it's reacting to stress. Now the amount of vitamin C that's normal to find in the urine is around 300. When the vitamin C suddenly drops, let's say if a person was taking his vitamin c urine test daily and he was typically in the 300s and then suddenly he saw it go to 50. that could mean that he's about to come down with a cold or flu because he's getting sick and in doing that there's a greater demand on vit- for vitamin c from his immune system which causes the amount of the urine to drop also a- acute stress could cause the vitamin C in the urine to drop because the person needs more vitamin C. Therefore, the level found in his urine will drop. Generally speaking, it's uh, typical to find somewhere between the three hundred to five hundred on the on the urine vitamin C test, and that would be considered normal. Generally, if your if your test shows you have a higher level than 500, it's usually that the person has taken a vitamin C supplement at that time. And as I said before, if it's below uh, 200, let's, let's say we hit 50 or 100, and that especially occurs suddenly, that would be indicative of a sudden stress, a sudden flu or cold, or some kind of acute demand on the body, which makes the vitamin C and the urine drop. So with the urine test, While the person is doing their treatment, we can look to see if we're having a die-off reaction. This is very important because if the person is feeling bad, they could be attributing their symptoms to a worsening of their condition as opposed to die-off. When a person has die-off, they will literally feel similar to as when their candida is raging. The difference, however, will be what the urine test would be telling us. When the test that curdles elevates while the person's on the program, this would be an indication of a die-off. In conjunction with that, we would expect to see the pH drop. This would tell us that the person's having a die-off. The test that turns blue can suddenly become bluer or suddenly just become positive where it had been negative before This would be an indication of the person's having, suddenly contracting some type of bacteria or parasite which could give them the symptoms of food poisoning. Occasionally, if the person has these organisms lodged in their intestinal tract, and they're essentially hibernating there, let's say, and just uh, not being very active, From doing the program, you can disturb these microbes, in which case you can get a sudden reaction of blue on the test. That's because these microorganisms are being jarred loose, and they're now coming into activity in the intestinal tract, where they had been more or less hybridating and hiding before. This is possible. Of course, it's also possible they ate something that was contaminated. So that's something you would discuss and try to sort out to find out which case it is. The oxidative test, the one that turns red, which typically indicates systemic Candida, can also elevate if the person is exposed to sudden toxins. There are a group of different types of toxic elements and chemicals in your environment which you could be exposed to that would make that test suddenly elevate. Interestingly enough, we found that the test that turns red on on the uh, Candida urine test also can worsen or be red due to viral activity. So if the person has a sudden virus at the onset of this, you can find the red test becoming redder and the vitamin C starting to drop. When a person has intestinal worms or parasites, it's typical to find the indican test positive. It could be in a two or three range, with the test that curdles being very heavy curdled. When one has the microscopic parasites, which are the protozoa, we not, don't necessarily find that the curdling test increases in its curdling, but we will find that the dysbiosis test, which is the, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, indican test, which is the test that turns blue, can become a light blue. Generally, a person who has candida as their primary infection will only have the curdling test in the floating to heavy range while having a negative indican and a low level of the oxidative score, which is the one that turns red. Probably the worst thing you could see on this test would be if the person has a heavy blue on the indican, a deep red on the oxidative, and a heavy curdling reaction on the dysbiosis test. That's pretty bad. That's a more, that would be a more challenging case for the practitioner to work on because here you have somebody who has a heavy growth of intestinal bacteria and parasites. They have systemic candida, and they also have a heavy intestinal candida growth. By looking at this urine test and by comparing it to a before and after challenge using our phase zero program, we can better understand the person's overall condition. We use the urine test as a challenge test in the very beginning to understand the person's case. The reason why we do this is we've discovered that the phase zero program can bring significant organisms out of hiding in the intestines to reveal what truly is happening. If we were to rely on the first time the person does the urine test as a uh, primary indicator we would be led astray probably 30 to 40 percent of the time and I'll explain why and give you some ideas as to what we have seen in the past. Typically the person does the urine test as a baseline when they first come to us before we've done any treatment. Now what we're seeing at that time is their state with the organisms in their intestinal tract is effectually not being disturbed. The purpose of the phase zero program is to disturb them by mechanically ripping them and scrubbing them off the lining of the intestinal tract to remove them from the system. So it's not unusual that on the second urine test we'll see these parameters worsen and they're not worsening because the person has gotten worse, they're worsening because the phase zero is bringing out a hiding these bad organisms, so that they're being revealed. So uh, typically, you'll see the person's first urine test being, let's say, moderately elevated on some of these factors, but the second one will be much worse because we're, we're bringing the organisms out of hiding and we're seeing what's actually there as opposed to what the first test showed us. There are uh, cases where we have the second test improve over the first one, and that's generally a case where the person is in reasonably good shape, and we expect them to be able to get rid of their candida condition quicker than other people because they've already experienced a drop in the, in the uh, parameters from just doing phase zero alone. Occasionally, we'll see people whose first urine test is absolutely terrible, and the second one is more or less exactly the same and that's typical in a person who has intestinal and systemic candida the tests can though move independently of each other from test to test to tell us different things different changes occurring but in the first two urine tests that we ask the person to do when they first come to us we're using those two tests as to get an idea of the overall condition Uh, and how chronic it is. In future tests, when we take them, we have to take them understanding the person's diet at the time and how they were taking the medicines at the time. If you have a person after their first month, let's say, on the treatment, on phase one, and their urine test gets worse, and we find out that they didn't do a good job taking the medicines, and they were doing terrible on the diet, well, this would obviously not be a person who's getting worse on the test due to die-off, but this is someone who's not following the program, and they're making themselves worse by eating foods which are triggering the growth of the candida. So their urine test looking worse would be an indication of someone who's actually getting worse. On the other hand, if we have a person who's following everything the way they're supposed to, and the, these parameters worsen, and they're feeling die-off, then we know we're seeing on the test a reaction of die-off and not a reaction of the whole system becoming more occupied by these microorganisms. Now, die-off is a funny thing people ask about, and I explained before how die-off is registered on the urine test. There are key symptoms to look for that tell you if the person's having die-off or not. One of them are flu-like symptoms. Feeling like you have the cold or the flu, but having something about it that's just not quite right or not quite typical is often described as die-off by people. People will very often tell me, I have symptoms of a cold, I feel like I have a cold, but there's something about it that's just not typical of when I get a cold. When I hear this, I'm pretty confident that the person is describing to me a die-off reaction. Having any existing symptom get worse is also typically a die-off symptom. If a person has a rash, when they have die-off, it's typical that the rash will get worse. If they have vaginal yeast infections, it's typical that the vaginal yeast infections will temporarily get worse, they'll flare up. And generally speaking, there isn't anything that handles the flare-up of the die-off other than Simply lowering the dose of the medicines you're taking to reduce the toxins that are being formed by the dead yeast and drinking a lot of water to flush this stuff out of your system. Those are the single most successful actions in dealing with die-off. If someone has an impaired detoxification system in their body, uh, they may need to go through more extraneous measures to control their die-off so that they can function. Uh, colonic treatments might be necessary. The use of green juices or chlorophyll might be needed. Taking very absorbent different types of clays and fibers might be necessary. This would be above what we already have built into the program if the person has a more severe or compromised detoxification system. There are some cases where we actually have to suspend the person's Candida treatment or. Uh, delay putting them on the candida treatment in order to first get their uh, system and their detoxification capacities corrected and enhanced enough so that they could then tolerate the type of die-off that people typically get on the program. Most people are able to function just fine on the program while they have die-off. They're able to work, go to school, etc. It's only people who have these very severe detoxification problems that will need some type of further treatment or or a setup treatment to be able to do the standard program. In these people, you will typically find on the chem strip, their bilirubin and urobilogen levels will be highly elevated. Uh, occasionally, anyone on the Candida program can have a slight positive reaction on their bilirubin. That doesn't really mean much. It's when the urobilogen or the bilirubin are in the th- three, let's say, up in the threes, uh, that was significant enough to indicate that the person has a real detoxification problem with the liver and they may not be able to t- tolerate the typical die-off that people get on the program. Uh, die-off is a very funny matter. that's very confused by people. But when you have die-off, it's essentially a good thing. <laughs> that's what, why you're doing the program is to have die-off, so that you see that you're eliminating these microbes. And we have a couple of questions coming in, which I want to see here. Okay, a person writes in and asks, what would be the difference between the Candida blood test that I did, as opposed to your test? Well, I explained that a a bit in the beginning. Let me review that again. A Candida blood test is just looking for Candida antibodies. The Candida antibodies are essentially immune proteins that your body is making in defense of Candida. When a person first develops Candida, the antibody levels can be high, abnormally high, and out of the correct range, signaling the person has an active growth of Candida at that time. If the person gets treated for Candida, and then takes the blood antibody test again, it's very possible that you'll find those levels even higher than they were in the beginning, not indicating the person's getting worse, but indicating that the candida treatment produced so much dead candida that the immune system not being able to tell the difference between dead and live candida, which it cannot, is producing even more antibodies. So that's, this is an interpretation point that you have to be aware of when you had successfully gotten rid of your candida, it would be typical for the urine, the blood test that you did, the antibody test, to remain positive, meaning that the antibody levels are gonna remain elevated above the norm for about nine months after your candida was eliminated. So this means that if if you do a candida treatment and you think you're finished, you literally would have to wait nine months to find out whether or not that's correct nine months from the point where you were finished, which is an arbitrary point right then and there, the Candida antibody blood test will then have the antibodies go back into the normal range. So that's a bit confusing. Um, Confusing for several reasons. One, because if it gets worse, it could be because you're getting better. And number two, you'd have to wait nine months in order to find out what it really means. Also, there's not much detail going on in that test in terms of your other functions. It's not telling you whether or not you have overgrowth of bacteria or parasites. It doesn't generally differentiate between intestinal candida growth versus systemic candida growth. So those are some major differences. Um, You can tell die-off, though, from the candida blood test if you know how to interpret it. If the person's being good and doing everything they're supposed to, and they appear to be reporting die off reactions to the practitioner. You could then see a worsening of the Candida antibodies on the blood test and interpret that as die off. This is possible if you understand the interpretation. But generally speaking, the blood test is far limited, much more limited than the urine test, because the urine test has multiple parameters there, which are all in agreement or they're not. So you can, you have, um, different ways to fail-safe, whatever your interpretation is. Okay, we have another question here. Uh, okay, this person writes in and says that they, in doing their home urine test, they're not, sh- not sh- sure if they shook the vials very well, and they want to know if that's important. Yeah, I would say that's that is important to a degree. It's a... Always a good idea to give them a couple of shakes to make sure the urine intersperses or disperses with the chemicals in there. I think that's a good idea. But I would say that if you put the as long as you put the urine in the vial with the chemicals, even if you don't shake it, you're still going to get a, an interreaction. And it probably would still be 80 to 90% accurate. I would just tend to say that if you gave it a little bit more of a shake, um, it would just guarantee that everything is thoroughly mixed. And then we have another question coming in. Uh, This person writes in and says they've had a high oxidative score for quite some time, and they want to know what that could mean. They're they're already finished with the candida program, and they're on phase three, taking different vitamins and herbs for their immune system. But the oxidative test remains elevated. Well, okay, that's... uh, and I know who this person is, by the way, so I already know the the answer because I know what their treatment plan is. The oxidative test has an idiosyncrasy to it. And the idiosyncrasy is that the free radicals which are produced by candida that cause this test to elevate are naturally detoxified by your body by certain enzymes. And these enzymes need minerals, very particular minerals, in order to detoxify them. So someone who has a chronic oxidative test, which means the RED test, being chronically red, regardless of what's happening with their Candida program, this is an an indication that they may be deficient in in, uh, copper, which forms enzymes that break down these free radicals, zinc, which does the same, molybdenum, which is Probably the most important of all these trace minerals in dealing with these aldehydes. Molybdomin, uh is a trace mineral. It looks, when you read it, it looks like molybdenum, but it's pronounced molybdenum. And this element is responsible for enzymes that help break down all types of byproducts of alcohol and all types of uh, toxic reactions that occur in your liver that come from outside toxins, which are called xenobiotics, that get into your body. So having a chronically high red test, the oxidative test, easily could mean that you're molybdenum deficient. Molybdenum typically works with vitamin C to help reduce these free radicals. Germanium is another trace mineral, which is an antioxidant that reduces the free radicals that you find from the red test. So you see, generally, while we consider the high level of the red test to indicate a bad or heavy systemic candida issue, it possibly also could mean that you're very deficient in these elements, which help to detoxify those free radicals. Uh, generally, that doesn't cause the test to remain heavily red forever, but it would make the test be a little bit redder than it should be and show difficulty in coming down into that normal range. Uh, very typically, when I see people who have their... Oxidated test still elevated, and they're on to phase two of our candida treatment, which is already now towards the end, Um, I will then know that the red test is not being elevated by the candida levels, because if so, it would have dropped by then. We know that it's being caused by a deficiency in any of those trace minerals, copper, zinc, molybdenum, and germanium, and that's why it's still elevated. So that's something we would address on phase three, which is the part of the candida treatment that addresses all your deficiencies of nutrients. On phase three, when we test you for deficiencies in those minerals and we find them, putting you on those minerals and getting you back up to normal will just naturally make the red test drop closer to normal. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for today. glad to do this podcast today to explain more about the test, which can be confusing. And again, if you have any questions... On this, anything we didn't cover, just feel free to email me. And I'd be happy to answer your questions. Until next time, this is Michael Biamonte, Clinical Nutritionist. We'll speak to you again on Thursday.
0: A certified clinical nutritionist. Michael holds a doctorate of neutropathy and is a New York State certified clinical nutritionist. He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists and of the American College of Nutrition. And he's a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health truth.com, or phone his office at 212 587 2330. Welcome to the Candida Chronicles with our host, Michael Biamante, certified